Ever feel like life, family, and even church can get a little out of control? We're here to make real life simple. Welcome to the Rest of George podcast. Well, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I want to just introduce our guest today. Uh, Fred Gray is the executive pastor at Real Life Church and been a friend of mine for years and a colleague for how long you been at Real Life now? Seven years? Uh, I'm about, well, I've been around for a little longer than that, but on staff for about six. On staff for six yeah. years. I guess it felt like longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thanks very much for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about how do you know when you're called to leave the corporate world into the church world? Because there are many that uh, make that transition or maybe thinking about that transition. And sometimes there are those that think, boy, it, it'd actually be an easier job or it might be nice in the fact that I love my church, I'd like to work at my church. Yep. And should they do that and how to manage that transition if they do and maybe some words of caution as to what they should think through before they make that decision. So Fred, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about um, just your your journey. You're from Southern California and uh, kind of where you worked in the corporate world before coming on staff. Yeah, Rusty, I was, uh, as you say, uh, I'm a Southern California guy and um, I ended up going to UCLA, uh, which I'm excited about now. It was not my first choice. I wanted to go to USC, ironically, but I ended up at UCLA and studied psychology, but I studied psychology with uh, a business emphasis. So I had some thought in my head that I would end up in the corporate business world, and sure enough, that came true. So fairly shortly out of college, I ended up becoming a banker, uh, somewhat following in my father's footsteps, and that was an interesting journey that lasted about 15 years. And after that, I ended up um, moving towards uh, something else simply because all the banks started to merge and I was the benefactor of uh, um, a merger. So I got to move into uh, corporate staffing, which was very unique and interesting and complemented a lot of what I'd learned in the banking world. But I was traveling all the time and I was traveling so much all over the country that after about 10 years of that, I thought to myself, man, I am not sure I want to be gone from young kids. I have five kids. A couple of them were super young at the time. I just felt like I was gone too much. So I ended up becoming a managing director for a CPA firm, uh, which again was a very strange thing. It certainly didn't fit a degree in psychology, but it matched my it certainly matched my you know, business experience, and that was great, and that led me right up to being very active at Real Life Church and super involved, and I loved that job. I loved the firm that I was working for. It was unique, challenging. It was very large companies, which that was fun, very strategic, but that led me right up to Real Life Church. So tell us a little bit about uh, you know your church background, because you kind of come from a um, a bit of a disengaged state of being at church. And then you got really involved um, uh, at a church before real life. And then because of your proximity, dove into real life. So from kind of the continuum perspective, didn't grow up with a lot of church and then slowly got more involved in church, which made you begin to think about, should I ever work at a church? So walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, 
you know, I became a Christian as a teenager. I was a non-Christian household. My parents never went to church at all. There wasn't any emphasis there. As a matter of fact, they sent me to a Catholic school as a non-Catholic, which was, again, very interesting. But the Catholic school basically forced me to read the Bible cover, cover to cover. And that sort of set me off on a journey of really trying to understand who I was, who the world was, who we should be. Uh, through the context of the Bible. And for the next few years, I was faithful to go to church, but I really followed into that to try to be around people that I thought could teach me more about that. And so it was really self-discipleship. And then as um, I started a family and got to understand what it was like to be a husband and have kids, I started wanting to serve and help other families. So uh, that was sort of the, the the transition to really understanding my desire to want to be a part of something. But I never could contextualize that in terms of a job at church or mm-hmm. whatever, go to work full time at church. As a matter of fact, it always seemed to be so great to be a key volunteer in a ministry that was unique and did one particular thing. And then when I'd look beyond that, I just thought, man, that just looks nuts. It looks crazy. Church work looks tough. Uh, but the further we got along that, even to real life church, um, I, we just became more and more involved. I remember sitting there thinking at one point in time, I had a set of keys to the church because there were certain responsibilities I had operationally. And I thought, I wonder if this is what it's like to be on church staff, you know, it's a lot of responsibility and a lot of fun stuff. But that kind of kind of got me right up to the doorstep of, you know, what transition I would make later on from the corporate world to the church world. Key volunteer uh, being being an active volunteer to me was a huge part of ever even considering mm-hmm. the possibility of making the, the change. So one of my favorite stories is how you got to be at Real Life Church because we'll just give some proximity here. You lived in Santa Clarita. Uh, you were driving down to attend a church, um, uh, Rocky Peak, Church yeah. at Rocky Peak. Yes, sir. A great church there, and you were very involved there. And one of the things that you loved about church there, you and your wife, was that it was on Saturday night. And so you decided to uh, consider going to church a little closer to home for the sake of driving and all of that. Um, and I'll let you take the story from yeah. there. So we, we were looking for two things, and I smile at this today. We wanted a church that was uh, heavily into community, life groups, because we, we really thought that that was a way to live life out to the fullest, just to be in community. And then we wanted a church that had a Saturday night service. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, without working too hard uh, and probably doing some internet searches, we found Real Life Church and we saw that they had a Saturday night service meeting at another church locally and that they had life groups. So we said, okay, we'll give that one a try. So that was it. And it was all really stemmed from being super active at another church, but driving huge numbers of miles, which is kind of the whole reason that Real Life Church was set up by Shepherd, who said, hey, so many of you are coming from the Santa Clarita Valley, or, Mm -hmm. you know, why don't you stay in the Santa Clarita Valley and we'll plant a church? So it caught me up in the same way, so. And so what happened as soon as you started coming on Saturday night? Yeah, so I I knew you were going to force me into that. We probably were, I got three Saturday nights in and met some great people and everything before the church discontinued Saturday night. So (laughs) we were left with uh, the life group thing, which we hadn't even yet started. So, um, yeah. That's too. great. Yeah, yeah. One of the uh, the first things I remember you getting involved with, not just life groups, but you were leading a life group. And I knew that your life group was, you were really close together. You had t-shirts made uh, with your life group 
insignia you'd come up with. Uh, you would show up for teardown uh, because we were still meeting in a high school at the time. And we decided to add a third service on Sunday morning in the high school, 9, 10, 30, and 12 o'clock. But we needed energy at the 12 o'clock service. And so somebody on our staff, probably me, had the brilliant idea of we need some people running around, throwing beach balls around, having a good time to create energy. Who could do that? And somebody said, I think Fred Gray's life group could do it. So tell us about that experience real quickly, because it's, it's key in your, in your journey. Well, it's surreal uh, for me to think back, because uh, my early church days, once I had accepted the Lord coming you know, into that, that, out of that high school situation where I was uh, you know, very heavily influenced by the Catholic Church, but I'd become a Christian, my, my roots were pretty conservative at that point in time. So now I'm going to a church that, you know, has got, you know, great music and just is walking that edge of not being super conservative. And they come and ask me to um, play with beach balls. And all I thought was, you know, um, sometimes when we serve, we just have to say yes. And the idea doesn't always have to be ours. We don't even have to think it's the best idea. But uh, we jumped in, and a couple of us just started bouncing beach balls around. And I just remember thinking to myself, as people were looking at us in total and complete confusion as to why we would be doing that, <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, as much as I'm trying to sell this, I'm probably a little bit confused. And uh, I don't remember it being a huge success. As a matter of fact, I remember it being a little bit like you'd see at Dodger Stadium, where somebody will finally grab the beach ball and take out their car keys and try to puncture it. <laughs> I think we had to grab it out of a couple of different hands to keep it from being punctured. But, uh, it, it, you know, it was all part of this beautiful journey that started being in community and loving that. And then seeing other ways to really help the church and obviously some some ideas good some ideas bad but it was really a good teaching moment for me to say oh we'll do whatever you want let's mm -hmm. look, if that's what you guys want to try let's go ahead and do that yeah I, I think about how sometimes the church looks like a great place to work um, in some people's minds because they think it's going to be church camp all the time or vacation Bible school or we'll all sit around and pray and sing and love each other it'll be great and so when I've had people come up to me and say, hey, I'd, I'd like to join the staff or I'd like to come on staff in some way, I often tell them, well, great, why don't you start by volunteering? Yeah. And it was really easy when we were in the high school or movie theater to say, hey, just help us set up or tear down. And your path to being an executive pastor at Real Life Church really was by setting up chairs and taking down chairs mm -hmm. and kicking beach balls around at a, at a low uh, intensity service. Um, and really kind of starting on that path, which, which got you more and more involved to the point where you became a life group leader, you became a life group coach, you became a community team member, you became a board member, and then eventually a staff member. So I love that path of yours, Fred, and that you just were willing to do whatever, which is a great learning for everybody listening that might be at a church and wants to work at a church one day. Now, I want to talk about something in your life that uh, was obviously rather painful but often disqualifies a lot of people from uh, being on a church staff in, in some churches. It doesn't at ours, um, but it could easily make you feel like you were disqualified in that 20-some uh, years ago, um, probably over 25 years ago, you went through a divorce. Mm -hmm. um, left you in a very difficult situation, just personally, emotionally, spiritually, 
at that point, I can't imagine you ever thought one day it'll be better than this and I'll be working on a church staff. <laughs> uh, and you probably thought you were a bit disqualified from a lot of things um, as far as, you know, the church world is concerned. Talk us, talk us through a little bit about what you have learned about that and just how you've experienced God's grace through that and how those out there that maybe have gone through a similar situation can be reconciled and renewed for ministry? Yeah, It's a great question, and it's a tough question to answer because it immediately brings up so much uh, emotion. Because looking back at that time, and there was nothing that I ever did at a church where, and particularly in the early days where we first started serving, where I didn't go intentionally and sit in front of a pastor to tell them why uh, I didn't think I should serve the church. That my divorce, because I had been a Christian at the time, uh, and regardless of circumstances, that my divorce automatically disqualified me. And there were so many loving people that would sit down and take the time to get to know me and allow me to process out loud my guilt, my shame. And what's so interesting about that is, is that all of us have brokenness that we carry into uh, everything that we do. And so much of it is stuff that we just haven't reconciled or taken the time to deal with. And I think for myself, uh, God was so generous to allow the very fact that I had been a divorce to help mold and shape how I view grace, how I approach grace, why it's so important to be a part of a church that reaches out to the unchurched, de church because there's so many people walking this earth right now that think that God doesn't love them and God can't use them because of their separation from Him. And that is so much about them, their heads, as opposed to the absolute truth that God loves us and there's a constant process of redemption for all of us. And if we're even vaguely aware of God and reach out to Him at all, we immediately get swept up in that flow of redemption. And it's true in Scripture. We see it all over the Scriptures of you know great people, the Apostle Paul, King David. I study those all the time. Peter is another great example mm. of broken, you know, difficult people, and their brokenness even showed through in some of their ministry. But God has used them and taken them, you know, many places. And uh, I had to learn that as somebody who had experienced a divorce, and I have I spent years apologizing to people for what I viewed as my um, my lack of something internally, uh, my brokenness. I apologized over and over again. And I found that uh, two sets of pastors at two different churches were amazing at walking me through that. But it was a process that I had to go through, and it really came about being focused on learning how to forgive myself and learning how to move forward well after everybody else around me had done the exact same thing. They'd forgiven me and moved forward and were you know, totally encouraging me as though I needed that to move forward. But it was a process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into the question that a lot of people ask, and that is, how do I, how do I take that leap? I mean, how did you know that it was time to become um, a pastor or to join the church staff? I mean, like you said, you were, you know, here you are, you're volunteering, you're serving, you're, you're fully engaged, you're on the church board, you like your job, things are going well, you're gonna take a tremendous pay cut to do this. Why in the world would you do this? And what, what are the circumstances that led you to that to make you take that leap? Yeah, and it's a great question, and it's a story that I love to tell because for me it's completely miraculous. 
Uh, a gentleman by the name of Michael DeFazio, who's a former pastor at the church and a good friend of a lot of us, uh, Michael had put that bug in my ear or planted the seed of that idea a number of years prior to me joining the staff. And he had done it because he saw that I was passionate about ministry and I was passionate about the church. And I was passionate about the mission of the church, which was huge. But when he planted that seed or even threw that idea, I dismissed it very quickly because it didn't fit who I wanted to be. It didn't fit Brooks Brothers suits. It didn't fit the car that I wanted to drive or the watches that I wanted to wear or the houses that I wanted to own in the future. It didn't fit those things, but the idea was there. And the only thing I can honestly say that I did well at that point in time is I didn't take some uh, you know, weed killer and kill the, kill the idea as though it was going to be a plant that I never wanted to see grow. I just left it alone and said... I don't think that's possible, but I'm not going to eliminate it altogether. Then later on, you started to talk to me about the same thing very gently about the possibility of leaving corporate. And that's where I realize now, and it's a great story of my life, I was like the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, you know, what, what are the, what's the pathway to eternal life? And I think in the back of his head, he already knew that he was doing certain things that should actually get him in because he, as Jesus laid out a couple of things, he said, I do follow the commandments and this is who I am. And when he finally says no to Jesus' offer, which is really to accept grace, sell your possessions and follow me, he goes away sad. All I could ever think about when I tried to contextualize the idea of going to work at the church was that I was going to be giving up all of this. I was going to be giving up my identity mm. and, and who I was and what I wanted to be and what I wanted to own. And that to me is the rich young ruler who went away sad and I realized that I was about to go away sad. Well, fast forward it to the point where uh, I learned that the executive pastor, Jeremy Van Lynn, was leaving the church and it had been a great process and he'd been talking about it a long time, but his stop was kind of a hard stop. It was a little abrupt. We didn't realize he was going to be leaving quite that quickly. And I was driving in a car on my way out to a client and I was in the car that I loved, wearing what I loved to wear, being who I was, looking forward to a great lunch, doing everything that... Uh, was fulfilling to me and I'm heading out there and I, I look down at this email I pull off the road to read the email and I, I understand that he's going to be leaving the church and while I didn't hear Morgan Freeman or James Earl Jones it was one of those unique moments in my life where I believe that God said to me you, you need to take that job now I panicked and I started to cry and I was absolutely adamant that I was not ready to do that so I did what every red-blooded husband should do I picked up the phone and called my wife, mm -hmm. figuring that my wife would immediately say, you can't take that job. There's no way we could do that. And I called her and she, uh, because of the story and where she was, rather miraculously answered the phone. And I told her just in a couple of words, hey, Jeremy has left the church and now the executive pastor position's open. And she says, and I'll, ne I'll never forget this, she said, I, I, you're supposed to take that job. I, I believe you're supposed to be the one to step in. Now. Nobody offered me the job, so I called you, but the whole process for me was really f trying some things on. So even during the time that people were suggesting maybe I consider the church uh, as, a, as a job or to go to work at the church, I did a lot of trying that on to see how it would fit. And because I was a volunteer, I did have an opportunity to see certain aspects of you know, how does that fit me? Would that be right for me? And then I consulted with other people. So not just you, Rusty, but there were other key individuals in my life where I would talk to them about who I was and what I needed to do in my life to move forward. And they helped me to try that on, including my wife. So it was a process and a difficult process because I loved what I was doing and I was successful at it. 
but it was definitely a process of trying something on and allowing an idea to grow. Now I want to talk about that, what you brought up between you and your wife, because what a lot of us don't realize is, is we, we make this call so personal. I've been called to ministry. And oh, by the way, I'm dragging my family into it as well. And it's oftentimes something they haven't signed up for. Yeah. You know, your wife didn't think she'd ever be a pastor's wife. <laughs> no. And, and though it's a large church where she can have some anonymity and doesn't feel the weight of, you know, playing the organ and, and uh, leading the women's Bible study, uh, there is a, a lot of, there's, there's something that comes with that. For one, there's the kind of the spiritual pressure that you feel of now having a target on your back. There's the uh, criticism that you'll get uh, that she receives in an effort for people to get it to you. There's the pain of seeing friends and uh, you know volunteers leave or get upset or whatever. H how did you prepare her for that? Or what has she learned in the process? Or what would you say to somebody who's about ready to drag their family into ministry? Yeah, so um, the great thing about the whole journey was I had no idea what to expect. And, you know, um, there is not the, there's some great books out there, but there wasn't this ready handbook that somebody would hand you and say, okay, this is what church life is like and this is what it's going to do to your family. So how we sort of mitigated the circumstances of the transition is we spent a lot more time talking together, planning, um, discussing my job and, and what it meant. Uh, she gave me a lot of feedback about um, how it would be best for me to process things at home and what would be really good for her, but it was always based on communication. So while I did nothing probably really smart or great to prepare her, she, because she, because we made the decision together, she felt that she needed to be vested in then what the journey looked like. And so um, there was a lot of discussion and a lot of, you know, you know, difficult times of saying, hey, this is what I think this means and us walking through that. And then the other thing we did is we brought other people into that. Mm -hmm. You have to do stuff in community. You wrote a book called Better Together and it's just genius. We have to do things in community. I could never take on the job of executive pastor here and operate out of community. I could never have done that. Uh, to my wife and have her operated out of community and because we were in such a solid life group which is sort of a, one of the catalysts actually being on staff for me that life group came alongside us and helped us on mm. that journey and there were some challenges and, and difficult things and things that we had to do financially that you know uh, at the time we would have said were sacrifices but we brought people into that and mm -hmm. that was huge for us. Um, okay, so let's let's deal with the real elephant in the room that everybody wants to know about, and that is there's an assumption, and I alluded to this earlier, that working at a church would be great. Because <laughs> yep. I go to church and I love it, I love the people there, I have a great experience, my kids love it, and then I go to a job that I hate, or I don't like, or I don't like the people I work with, or it's hard out there, and there's so many temptations, and it's difficult. It'd be so much easier to work at a church. Uh, tell us a little bit about your rude awakening to that and what you learned in that process, just to give a, a word of warning to those with that idea. Well, and I, um, I appreciate your patience, and I appreciate the patience of everybody that I worked with uh, in the early days uh, of my time here at Real Life. Part of the, the strangeness is, is that when you say yes to working at a church, and maybe you're coming from a corporate background or some other background that makes you a little bit of a content expert in certain areas and you're bringing certain giftedness, um, it is very much about assimilation. It's not about, hey, here's what I'm gonna come and bring the church and 
man, I had a lot of very practical skills that, you know, I could offer from my understanding of finance to my understanding of people and organization and what infrastructure could or should look like. But there was a rhythm to that and helping people to understand you and bringing people in a room and being collaborative as opposed to just saying, well, here I am, here's what I know, Mm -hmm. you know, go to it. And one of the things that I'm always reminded of, and it's helped me in my attitude with working at the church, and I say this to new applicants, and I, I probably have overused this statement, but the peak and the pinnacle of our Christian life is not working for the church. The peak and the pinnacle of our Christian life is working out our salvation within the context of the will of God and following where he's trying to lead us. Mm. And I guarantee you he's not leading all of us to work at a church, A, because it's hugely difficult and very Uh, very um, different from anything I've ever experienced, radically different. That's number one. But number two, it's a body, and the body gets formed of a lot of different parts and pieces, and not all of those pieces are going to be working at a church. As a matter of fact, the vast majority are not. Mm -hmm. So that was something I had to learn. And the element or the concept of calling is interesting because I tell the story, and it feels very much like I was called, But so much of that calling was about the people that were around me encouraging me to make the step, meaning they had identified that maybe I would be a good fit. And then it was taking the time to really think through, to pray through, to test it against scripture, to do all the things that I think we should do anytime we're making a big decision and to take our time. Meaning if you woke up one day and said, I think I should work for the church, that's a great thought. But make that a really long hello to that that idea and that concept. Volunteer seriously someplace for two years. Get yourself actively involved in an area that you feel passionate about. And then let God direct those steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I tell people all the time that you know, if you work in the corporate world, let's say that you are a, um, a contractor and you're a contractor that also leads a small group at your church. Well, if you have a bad Monday night as a small group leader and you don't do it very well, you're not prepped and it's just, you know, you go home and you think, I was a bad small group leader tonight, you know. But if you have a bad day as a contractor, uh, you kind of come home and go, I was a bad contractor today. In the church world, if you have a bad day or you you know, don't do your job well, it's both of those things. It's your vocation, it's your soul, it's your spirituality. If somebody criticizes you, it's telling you you're a bad contractor and a bad small group leader because it's both of those things. And it really gets interwoven and it's sticky and it's difficult. Um, And I know that from the outside, it may look easier than it is, but it, it does take a toll on you. And because of that, in your seat, you've had to deal with all kinds of different issues from you know personnel issues to building projects you never thought you'd be involved with <laughs> um, to you know legal matters um, to hiring to firing to uh, leadership development I mean it's not just a narrow niche that you get to focus in on it's a it's a vast array and it's always changing um, what would you say about the things that, and, and this is the thing that you and I often talk about is only in the church, you know, yeah. only in the church could you experience these things. Shed a little light on that for people that might be a, a little bit in the dark. Yeah, it's um, the the array of things that come up at the church, and it's at all different levels at the church and all different levels of ministry. It certainly is not unique to the executive pastor job. There are so many variables and so many things that are changing all the time. Um trying to absorb all of those alone and trying to always be the one with the right answer and trying to take all that on, it's almost impossible. And I'm not just talking about executive pastors. I'm talking about 
people that are doing any sort of job at the church because there's so much coming at you all the time. Uh, the difficulty in that is is that we tend to internalize that, meaning we take it all in and we begin to feel bad about ourselves for the things we can't get done or we question ourselves as opposed to doing the very thing that we should be learning because we teach it all the time, which is now it has to be about the people that I bring into the room to support me and help me. Mm. Now it has to be about the gift that we have of other uniquely qualified individuals that sit around the table with us that we can share the burden and the load. And sometimes it's just confessing, I feel overwhelmed by this or this is too difficult for me. Sometimes it's picking up the phone and calling another expert who probably knows more than I do and saying, here's my situation, here's how I'm thinking of handling it, tell me what you think. And more and more, I am not allowing myself and hopefully as many of the staff as I can reach to not shoulder the burden of ministry and the burden of church work on their own, that they mm -hmm. need to share that with others and do this life with others as well. So, But it is a challenge, and it's a challenge because um, church is messy. It's swimming in peanut butter, as I say, and because it is, um, you have to get much better at relying on others and letting others in when you're not doing well and letting others in when it is a struggle. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the good stuff. What's been a blessing by working here? Oh, you know, it, that's the easiest thing in the world because in the midst of everything that you feel buried by, there are constant stories of people transformation. There are constant stories of life change around you. And if you open your eyes just for a couple of seconds and open your ears, um, you will see it and hear it and you're reminded all the time, I serve Jesus Christ in this and it is a beautiful thing and he is changing lives and doing things around me and I get to experience that. I get to be part of that. And that is the most energizing and amazing thing to the point where as great as the corporate world was and as much as I loved it, um, I would never in a million years with some of the difficulty or all the difficulty that I've ever experienced as an executive pastor, I wouldn't think of changing the decision for anything because of the beauty and the joy that I get to see watching people's lives change for Jesus. Yeah, and I, I think that that's a, that's a key component there in that if you make it a business, uh, it'll be really, really difficult yeah. uh, because the highs are really high and the lows are really low, and you've got to find those moments where you see life change. And I think what has really helped you is you and your wife and your kids have invested so much in your neighbors that when they come to church, it's just such a huge win. It makes all the difficulties of the past five days just kind of dissipate because you begin to see, I'm watching people have the light bulb come on for the first time of who Jesus is and what's happening in their life. And then to see them invite their friends and their friends, it's just a ripple that you want to be a part of. So, okay, Fred, so we always close our podcast with three questions. First question is, what book are you reading or have read recently you'd recommend? Church Growth Flywheel by a gentleman by the name of Birch is amazing and I would recommend it to anybody that does anything with the church because so much of it is practical about things that we can be doing um, all over the place from guest services all the way through so outstanding book love it uh, okay. practical it's almost uh, almost a little bit of a handbook yep okay what's an app you're using that you enjoy so a good friend of ours uh, a couple of years ago uh, handed us a book called 10% uh, happier by a guy named Dan Harris and it's an interesting book. It's an interesting journey watching Dan learn how to uh, meditate. And uh, fortunately, he didn't become a Buddhist in the book. Otherwise, it would have been a little harder for me to read. But uh, Dan Harris shares his experiences in really kind of mastering stress and difficulty. And in listening to that, um, or reading the book, uh, I fell in love with taking just a certain amount of my time each day to stop and meditate, which 
really amounts to just clearing my head of all thoughts and just unwinding all of the craziness in my head. There's an app called 10% Happier that just sends me notifications on a daily basis. And it really sounds like this. Fred, you ask us to remind you that it's time to meditate. And I use the app and certain components in the app to really help me clear my head. And honestly, it's led ultimately to a much more robust prayer time and everything mm -hmm. else. But 10% Happier is an app. After you read the book, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, final one. Stage faux pas. Now, I know that you don't speak uh, on a weekly basis in front of large groups of people, but you do lead our staff meeting which you do in a very unique way, which can often lead to some interesting moments. Yeah, and it's probably one of the reasons why nobody allows me on a bigger stage, to be honest with you, <laughs> because I'm probably not trusted. But um, I always viewed staff meeting, and this again coming back from the corporate days, uh, a staff meeting or some sort of a gathering like that can tend to lack energy and can tend to be a downer because you're just waiting to get hit with whatever mm. next request or whatever next initiative that you're going to be responsible for. So I've always wanted in the beginning of a staff meeting to make it about fun and enjoying people. Well, my sense of humor and the embedded sarcasm in that sometimes probably is a little difficult for people. And I've had multiple times where I've told the greatest joke trying to uh, energize and invigorate and even to encourage uh, the audience, but somebody in particular in the audience, only to look at their face and to go, oh, I've just totally offended them. <laughs> Which has happened enough times where I probably, uh, I know there's always some consideration of uh, making sure that they know, everybody knows what I'm going to be talking about in advance. So, But I, I've, I've ruined a few people for the day, I'm sure. So, Well, we won't, uh, we won't specify any of those, but I will say that your combination with our sound guy of anniversary celebrations of people that have been here they you know every year they cross over another milestone and then the sound guy picks out a song that is unique for them right um to the point of where an individual on our staff who's in his 70s got the song old man river played while we showed his picture uh was a lot of fun so it does definitely change uh, the dynamic of the meeting so there we go fred thanks for all you do and thanks for being a part of the conversation and uh, and helping out a lot of people today. Well, thank you for being um, such a great boss and allowing me to be a part because it is a joy. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you would, take a moment and share this with somebody who might benefit from it. And if you have even more time, sit down and write a review on this on iTunes. It really does help a lot. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next month.